Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. This will be called it the very works that I do, part two. I didn't know there was going to be a part two. Um, just a couple of weeks after the first one, God just revealed something to me um, in my daily reading. Um, so last time we talked about, you know, uh, first century Jewish culture, how the boys uh, were taught in an early age. They would be... Um, learning, memorizing a lot of scripture. And then, of course, you have the feasts, the Sabbaths, where scripture is often recited. And it was just a culture immersed in in scripture. So they were able to pick things out, maybe a little faster than we can. But if we we study, we can uh, can see some of the same things. So uh, what we, um, they also had, which I think is a, Awesome verse, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as sign on your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And I think, you know, when you, when you go through the Old Testament, you see Israel fall away and then come back and then fall away. I think when they fell away, this was probably the first thing to go, right? They forgot to tell their children. They forgot to uh, speak of the Lord when they rose up, when they sat down. I think this was the first thing to go. And then uh, eventually I would lead to, you know, them being off course, shall we say. Um, we also read in John 5.39, Jesus was talking to Jews that really wanted to kill him. And he said, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. And then in John 5:36, for the works which the father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the father has sent me. So the very works that I do and, and I read that as the exact works that I do, the specific works that I do. We looked at uh, miracles of Jesus, how they speak directly to his deity, not just because they were amazing sights to behold, um, but because of the way they happened, the, uh, the words or the imagery we see as, as we read these passages, and they were called signs. So signs point to something. It's not a sign if it, if it doesn't point to something, right? We often... Um, use or hear the term, you know, gasp, it's a sign. Um, even me and Corey were, I sent him the slides and he didn't see them and in his email and they went to a spam folder. So jokingly, I said, my message went to the spam folder. It's a sign. You know, we're joking. Um, so you think of sign like, I thought of a little, little allegory here. Let's say someone's in the uh, market for a new car. They're down at the Ford dealership looking at the Mustangs and uh, can't decide, should I buy the Mustang? Should I not buy the Mustang? So 
He just decides to take a breather for a second, leaves the, uh, the salesman, and he steps outside the doors of the dealership. And right when he does that, a horse that had gotten loose runs right by. This horse takes off past him. It's a sign. I'm supposed to get the Mustang. But of course, when he walked out the doors, the trash can outside wasn't a sign. The crumpled up aluminum can under the bush over there, that wasn't a sign. Trees blowing in the wind across the street, that wasn't a sign, right? So signs have to correlate with what we're thinking, what we're looking for. Um, If I pulled a rabbit out of my iPad, you guys would be probably impressed, I, I would think, and wow, but would that mean anything? It's, it's a cool trick, but that wouldn't necessarily be a sign. Um, and I look at, you know, of course, reading scripture, they were all amazed with the miracles, as, as we are. They're miracles. Um, but then the Old Testament scriptures says that God, the Almighty, the Lord of hosts, does these things. I feel a lot of times Jesus' miracles are broken down and almost taught as parables. You know, like, well, this means, this represents this, this represents that. Um, but when Jesus spoke in parables, he was clear that it was a parable. And um, I, don't, I don't think that the, uh, I mean, it, it's fine to draw applications. But I don't think miracles were seen to be just like an allegory kind of a, a, a thing. So... In accounts uh, in the gospel, a lot of the signs that Jesus did, the people picked up on them right away. And then we know also in scripture that, you know, they didn't realize it until later, like a light came on. So that can happen with us. <laughs> a lot of times in the, in the, in the uh, gospel, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, the author of the book will stop and he'll say, and he did this so that these words would be fulfilled, right? So... The author kind of stops the story, gives pause, and he gives us a direct cross-reference of, of where, what that relates to. But not everything in the scripture is going to be just kind of spoon-fed to us, right? That's where we search the scriptures. Um, and it's so awesome because think about back in the first century, they'd have to go down to the temple have somebody pull out an old scroll if they were even allowed to, right? Um, we got the entire Bible in multiple translations, and it fits right here in our pocket. Anytime. Sitting at the DMV. Pull it out. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so, in part one, like I said, I didn't know there was going to be a part two, but we have, uh, we looked at Jesus, he calms the storm, and it looks like the disciples were more scared when he actually made it all still. It said they were exceedingly afraid. And, and we looked at that, and maybe it's because they knew scripture. Like in Psalm 89, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. So I think they saw Jesus stop the waves and immediately click. Psalm 89. Psalm 89 says God does that. Psalm 107. I love this one because it's such a great description of what was happening out there on, on the sea. Um, the waves lift up. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro, stagger like drunken men, and are at their end. 
Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. And then we also looked at Jesus walking on the water. And when he, he walks on the water, when he finally gets into the boat, they say, truly, you are the son of God. And we looked at why that might, might be. Looking at Job 9, 4 through 8. God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Verse 5. He, God, removes the mountains. We'll go to verse 8. He, God, alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. God does these things. And here we have Jesus coming down to do these. Now we could look at those last couple verses. God treads on the waves of the sea. And that it, we could read that as like poetry. Oh, that's such a nice sounding thing. He, uh, you know, spreads out the heavens. Spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And, you know, oh, that's another nice allegory. The waters represent troubles, and God is above our troubles, and he is in control. That's what this means. But we could, we could have thought that. Maybe the Jews still think that. <laughs> but then Jesus comes and literally walks on the waves, treads on the waves of the sea. He does it literally. So we can no longer look at that scripture as just pretty poetry. You know, It turns out that that pretty poetry was prophetic. Right? So, it's been a while since I did the first message. That's why I wanted to kind of recap a little bit, kind of give us in that mode of thinking. So, just kind of keep these things in mind as, as, as we continue here. Um, I was praying, I took a while to do this message because I had one miracle that really spoke to me and and I was praying on another one and that one never happened but turns out that this one is plenty long enough once I started digging into it we only need to look at one miracle tonight and that is feeding of the 5,000 you look at a lot of um, when I felt like this message was revealed to me um, I started looking at you know you google feeding 5,000 and um, a lot of devotionals and different messages, they run along the lines of what is feeding the 5,000, what was that about? And you know, a lot of messages or devotionals, it's, well, see, Jesus, he knows all of our needs. Or um, the disciples didn't have faith. Or um, even though the disciples were really tired, it was more important to serve. The, you know, they come along with these, and, and that's, that's okay. I'm not saying those are necessarily wrong to pull applications um, from things that we see Jesus do. It's just in my mind, I'm like, but why? Why feed 5,000 people? They weren't like starving to death. You, you know what I mean? So it's like, why? Um, I think there is a more specific reason. Hopefully, as we get into that, you'll agree with me. <laughs> and this sign... It's a sign, right? It's not a parable. It points to something. Um, it, uh, I used to think that it would kind of parallel Moses and um, God feeding the Israelites out in the wilderness with manna and quail, you know, and then here's Jesus with, with loaves and fish. Um, and it's kind of funny. I came across this verse just, just for fun. That's what the Israelites were actually crying for in Numbers 11, 4 and 5. Uh, now the mixed multitude were among them, 
yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel wept again and said, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt. So they were crying for fish out in the wilderness. They got manna and quail. I just think it's funny. Um, and it's also easy to get trapped in. Let's see if we take five. We had five loaves and two fish. So if we multiply, multiply five times two and divide that into 5,000 people and then we have 12 bat, and you can get caught up in this trying to find the secret meeting there too, right? Um, but I don't think that's it. So why did Jesus feed the 5,000? He said, we read the very works that I do. Um, this miracle was recorded in all four of the Gospels, so I think there's something to that. Not every miracle is in every Gospel. Um, and then after feeding the 5,000, uh, the men there who were fed, they understood something, and they were going to come and take Jesus by force to make him king after this. So there was something that was, something was big. And these men had already seen Jesus healing. He had seen They'd seen the, the blind see, they saw the lame walk, they saw the deaf hear, but this miracle is the one that clicked and they said, oh, we need to make him king. So uh, could it have been the size of the miracle because there were so many people and so much bread? We'll see. Did they see a cool trick or did they see a sign, Right. So we'll go to our text. Um, at this point, Jesus uh, had sent the, the disciples out like on a short-term missions trip. And they come back. And, and the way I read it, it, seems, it just seems like they're, they're tired, they're exhausted, but they're, it sounds like they're a little excited. They're telling Jesus, we were casting out demons, we were healing people, we took your teachings, we were uh, repeating your teachings, and they sound pretty ex- excited. So Mark 6, and starting in 31, he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. So you don't have just filing out of one area. you got people filing out from all over the place, all the cities. They arrived before them, the people arrived before the disciples and Jesus, and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them, because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, the disciples came and said to him, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread. For they have nothing to eat. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties, And when he had taken the five loaves to fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them. So all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now these who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. And so that's the miracle we're looking at. 
But just to give a little bit more context, I just want to read a little bit more. In verse 45, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And then now when the evening had come, verse 47, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing for the wind was against them. And then this is where Jesus walks out to them. He treads on the waves of the sea, walks out to them. And when he gets in the boat with them, the wind stops, the wind ceases. Right after that, now they get to the other side, they get out of the boat. When they come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him ran through the whole surrounding region and began to carry about on beds those who were sick to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he entered, into villages, cities, or the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment, and as many touched him were made well. So this is, this is, this is gnarly. Boom, 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 right? Feeds the 5,000. Disciples go out in a boat, get stuck, get trapped. They're getting tossed around by the waves. He walks out to them, walks on the water, and then right out, steps out of the boat, and people are just like, I can almost see it frantically, trying to get their loved ones in for for Jesus to heal them. Awesome, awesome scene. Um, And reading this, I like how Jesus spoke a lot of times about physical things and put it into a spiritual context. Um, I think of... um, Right after the woman at the well, and that was in John 4, where uh, their disciples finally meet up with him. And they're like, Rabbi, eat. And he said, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And then they're, someone give him something to eat? Talking to themselves. And he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So interesting here, feeding the 5,000, we read that he is teaching the multitude. So he's feeding them spiritually, right? Then he turns around. And he does it literally, like physically feeds, feeds the multitude. Um, because this is recorded in the four different books of the gospel, I just want to look at a couple verses from the other books. They don't contradict. They add detail. They add a little color so we can try to build a picture in our minds. Because I think of the uh, pictures we might have in our mind from movies and such as You'll say it doesn't quite fit what we see here. Um, So looking at Luke, so we're we're rewinding to the top of the story, right? The the disciples just get back. Um, Luke 9, I think verse 11. uh, Yes, but when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. And then in Luke 9, Jesus said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. Okay, let's rewind to the top of the story again. We're going to look in John, John 6, 1 through 3. Um, We'll go in verse 2. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and sat there with his disciples. John 6, 10, make the people sit down. Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the people sat down in number about 5,000. One more time. Last time, I promise. We're going to rewind again to the top of the story. We're looking in the book of Matthew. But when the multitudes heard it, 
They followed him on foot from the cities, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. And in 1419, he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass. Matthew 14, uh, 22 through 24, a um, little bit more description. When the boat was now in the middle of the sea, it was tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary, right? In, in Mark, it's talking about the wind. They were straying against the wind. But then we see in Matthew, it's also, also the waves. The wind has picked up the waves. They're getting tossed around. So we take, we take all these details, these bits of color, and we'll kind of zoom back. And what are we seeing here? We, um, what kind of picture with all these little pieces? Um, so it says that they went to a deserted place. And that doesn't mean a desert place. It means a deserted place. There was no villages in the area. Because we just read uh, three of the accounts talk about grass, and one of them says it was green grass, and there was lots of grass, so lots of green grass. So that already, you know, takes me away from the, uh, was it 60s or 70s Jesus movies, right? Where it looks like Mad Max might show up in the background because it's so barren <laughs> looking. We got green, green grass. Um, Many knew him, ran there on foot from all the cities. That's Mark 6. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw the signs which he performed on the disease. That's in John 6. Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Mark 6, 34. He was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew 14, 14. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. That's in John 6, 3. He began to teach them many things. He received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. He commanded them to sit down on the green grass, in, the, in groups on the green grass. That's Mark 6. Make them sit down in groups of 50. That's Luke 9. Make the people sit down. There was much grass, so they sat down, John 6. Then he commanded the multitudes to sit on the grass. Why am I talking about this? I think it's weird. Jesus had them all sit down in groups, right? We, we know potlucks. We just did a potluck. You get everybody in the line, right? This is efficiency. You put everybody in a line, and everybody just files through. You put the food in one spot. The people file through, grab their portion of the food that they want. Way more efficient, isn't it? I mean, but Jesus has them sitting all in groups. So, you know, we know Henry Ford, father of the assembly line. Just Jesus doesn't do that. So some say it was cultural. Some say... Um, I saw in the, in the devotional pieces I looked at that said that, well, he was teaching the disciples to be hands-on. With Okay, maybe. Um, but we have 5,000 men, not including women and children. So let's just double that to be a light number. I think it was probably more like 15, maybe more than that. But we'll just say 10,000 people are fed here. And we have groups of 50. So you got like 200 pods 200 pods of people all over. I mean, that takes up a huge space. So you're kind of putting a picture together. Jesus went up on a mountain. So they're up on a, on a mountain with a lot of green grass. Jesus is healing and, te- and teaching the people. He's about to do a miracle. He has them all sit down in groups. Right after this event, Jesus walks on the water because the disciples are caught out in what seems like a storm. You got... Waves toss and wind is blowing. Maybe it wasn't a pretty sunny day. Maybe 
while this miracle's happening, maybe the clouds are rolling in, maybe the storm's rolling in. I'm just trying to paint the whole picture here, right? I'm not saying that's absolutely right, but right after the miracle, they get in the boat and they get stuck. So maybe, that, maybe that's the way it happened. Um, so from the verses we just looked at, if we want to put up, I have a picture, the first picture. Uh, here we go. So this is the one I thought kind of looked like Mad Max might show up in the background. So we have Jesus uh, holding up a couple baskets. Andrew and Simon Peter picked up a couple baskets at Home Goods that morning. And Jesus lifting up the bread and the fish. And you just see people scattered all about, real barren looking. And so I don't, I think we have this in our heads, right? But I don't, I don't, I don't think this is what it looked like. Um, second, second picture, please. So here's a big group of people. But we just read that he made them sit down in, in, in groups, right? Um, next, next shot. Okay, now we, now we have like a smaller group, but it's, I don't see the green grass. Um, and this is, this is what we see in movies. And I just want you to kind of don't depend on this is what we just read, right? I believe the scene there looked more like this. And the next picture. And the next picture. This is what I think it looked like up on, the, on that hill that day. So we're going to be looking at Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived in the 6th century BC. He was part of a second group of captives um, taken to Babylon. He prophesied about Israel's destruction. And then while he was in captivity, he prophesied about Israel's restoration and those that were scattered who would be gathered back. In the beginning of Ezekiel 34, he is told to prophesy against the shepherds of Israel for not tending to the sheep. So obviously a, a spiritual, um, uh, spiritual aspect to that. Ezekiel 34, 5. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. I think I just heard something like that just a few minutes ago. Ezekiel 34, 11. For thus says the Lord God, the Lord God, indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. Now this had been fulfilled at this point hundreds of years earlier after the Babylon captivity, but not this next part. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel, where they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock And I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost, bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken, and strengthen what was sick. Is that not a description of what we just read in the Gospels? I will feed my flock, and I will make them lie down. Mark 6.34, I believe points directly to Ezekiel. Just like 
when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That points directly to Psalm 22. And then if you read all of Psalm 22, it's a perfect description of Jesus on the cross. It points back to Jesus at the cross. And I think in Mark 6.34, Jesus was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And then in Ezekiel 34.5, they were scattered sheep because there were no shepherd. And in Mark 6.39, he commanded them to sit down in groups. A fold of sheep, they would make a, it's basically like a makeshift pin. They would make out of rocks, branches, whatever they had, just to contain the sheep. I believe this imagery, we have people in groups of 50. It would look like little folds all over the green hill. In the, in the, in the green hill. So in 639, he commanded them to sit down in groups. It looked like folds on the green grass, like pastures. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel. There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. In verse 15, 34, 15 from Ezekiel, I will feed my flock. Where did the food come from? It came from God. And I will make them like down. Just like uh, maybe in groups of 50. <laughs> says the Lord God. So we see in Ezekiel, the Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and feed them on the mountains of Israel. Awesome. And those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this truly is a prophet who is to come into the world. And like I said, these guys had already seen all these, all these miracles happening because just earlier in the same chapter, that's what Jesus was doing. He was healing the sick. And then we see Jesus in Matthew 14, 33, Jesus gets into the boat and the disciples are out on the water and they say, truly, you are the son of God. So I think at this point, the disciples, we just saw you fulfill Ezekiel 34. We just see you uh, fulfill Job 9. Truly, you are the son of God. And I love this last uh, couple of verses kind of correlates wherever he entered into villages cities or the country they laid the sick in the marketplaces and in ezekiel 34 13 i will feed them on the mountains of israel in the valleys and in all the inhabited places of the country so i think here's another passage this passage in ezekiel it sounds like poetry and then jesus comes and does it literally he, he does it literally he feeds a multitude spiritually in line with what we would read in Ezekiel 34, and then he physically feeds them. So can you imagine, just imagine being there that day, because these men were going to take him by force to be king, and I just imagine them sitting there, you know, and looking around. They're on a hill, green grass. They're in pods. It looks like sheep folds all around them. They're eating this bread that came from nothing. It came from five loaves, right? And everybody's full. I think they they realized what's going on and dropped the bread. And that's how they picked up the 12 fragments because they were they were shocked. Um, so why did Jesus feed the 5,000? Well, 
It's to show you that he is God. And that's always the right answer in Sunday school, right? Why did Jesus feed 5,000? But I believe there was a specific image that was produced here at this time for these people and for us to be able to dive back into it. Um, But yeah, so I know this isn't a message with a particular application. I think the application here is read the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Um, The Lord speaks... His word is his message to us, how we're supposed to live. Um, And I think it's awesome that he shows us these insights to where he revealed himself. People in the world, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. And I don't think he he was a nice guy. And he did. He did over and over again. So be uh, strengthened. Pray that your faith is strengthened. That once again, we have... A beautiful picture of Jesus claiming to be God without using words, right? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time we have together, Lord. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, that um, uh, you would touch everyone's heart here, Lord. Touch all of our hearts to uh, have that desire that hunger, Lord, to get into your word, to read your word. Lord, that you would give everyone here fresh uh, revelations, Lord. When they come across a verse that they've read a hundred times and the hundred and first time, it speaks to them like never before, Lord. I pray that you open, like we sang earlier, Lord, open, open the eyes of our hearts. Lord, bless this uh, rest of the evening we have together in your precious and holy name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may His face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time, 